While you turn there, I want to give you a brief summary of what we've looked at thus far in the Gospel account of John. So Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. John the Baptist fulfilled his mission of testifying about Christ Jesus. Jesus' calling of Nathaniel and Philip, where Jesus displayed his deity by knowing where and what Nathaniel was doing while Nathaniel was alone, and he told him what he had done. And we've seen him perform the miracle of water to wine, as this was one of the first of, or this was the first of many miracles and signs that displayed his deity. The wine also reminds us of his blood shed for cleansing and atonement of sin. Jesus displayed zeal and reverence for his father's house when he cleansed out the temple and cleansed out the business dealings that were pushing away Gentile believers. And he made a promise that he would destroy this temple, meaning his body, and he would raise it again in three days, which was a promise kept. And then in chapter 3, we looked at that if we want to be saved, we must be born again. The Spirit living in you. We must be living for Christ, off with the old life and on with the new. Eternal life is the gift of God by faith in Christ, and we're given grace and salvation, and we get to enjoy and be with Him forever. The darkness has not overcome the light, and it will not ever. So starting in John chapter 4, I encourage you to please read along with me. Verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So in verse 1, we see that Jesus' name was becoming more well-known. He was now at the point where he was more well-known than John the Baptist. So we see in verse 3 to 4 that Jesus departed for Galilee. Why? Well, the main reason was persecution, in that he knew the time had not yet come for him to challenge the Pharisees. He had more ministry to do, more sharing about the good news. And you may question why it says that Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. What in the world does that mean? David Guzik, he stated that Jesus, by baptizing, he attested the unity of his work with that of the forerunner who was John the Baptist. By not himself baptizing, he made the superiority of his position above that of John the Baptist to be felt. Remember John's quote of reverence for Christ in John 1.27 He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. It states that Jesus was headed to Galilee, and so sadly this was when John the Baptist was arrested, as stated in Mark 1.14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so to get to Galilee, Jesus had to go through Samaria. And there was a reason why. This is stated in Scripture. Let me give you some background of Samaria. Jews despised Samaria. They, they despised it. They would often avoid it in their travels by crossing the Jordan River. They would avoid it at all costs. So why did the Jews despise the Samaritans? I love how Guzik, he stated that, So when the Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom of Judah, they took almost all the population captive, exiling them to the Babylonian Empire. 
All they left behind were the lowest classes of society because they didn't want these lowly regarded people in Babylonia. These ones left behind intermarried with other non-Jewish peoples who slowly came into the region. And the Samaritans emerged as an ethnic and religious group. Because the Samaritans had a a historical connection to the people of Israel, their faith was a combination of commands and rituals and pagan practices combined with the law of Moses put together with various superstitions. So most of the Jews in Jesus' time, this is why they despised the Samaritans. Disliking them even more than Gentiles. And remember how much they did not want to be associated with Gentiles. That they wouldn't eat with them. They didn't want to be seen with them. They didn't want to be under the same roof as Gentiles. Because they were considered unclean. And they despised Samaritans even more than that of a Gentile. Because they were, religiously speaking, they were the half-breeds who had a false faith. The Samaritans, they built their own temple to Yahweh on Mount Gerizim, but the Jews burned it around 128 BC. So this made the relations between the Jews and the Samaritans pretty terrible. So Jesus going through Samaria was was not a mistake. I mean, even we just saw in that video, there was a reason why. So this is a friendly reminder to us churchgoers who that, you know, we can come off as you're unclean. I'm clean. We come off as Holier than thou, that, uh, that all people to the ends of the earth, we need to remind ourselves that all those people, all those people are to have the gospel proclaimed to them. How quick we are to forget Matthew 28 and to forget the words of Jesus Christ. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe and obey all that I commanded. We're so quick to forget those words and to cast people out because of their sin, while all the while we forget that we too have been saved by grace. All people have equal footing at the foot of the cross. There were people in Samaria who were considered to be so unclean, yet Jesus went there because people needed to hear the good news. All people need to hear the good news. And before we dig deeper into our passage, um, oh, actually, I had a typo here, my bad. So we're, we just saw that scene that, that broke down our passage this morning, and we're going to dig deeper and deeper into that scene. So in verses 5 to 9, it states, So he came to a town of Samaria, Jesus. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, which was ancient Sechem near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this town, Sychar, was the capital city for the Samaritans. Jacob's well um, was there, stated in verse 6, and there's some history on this location. So this is where Abram first came when he arrived into Canaan from Babylonia, as stated in Genesis 12, 6. This is where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan and renewed the promise of the giving of giving the land to him and his descendants. 
Genesis 12:7. This is where Abram built an altar and called upon the name of the Lord, Genesis 12:8. This is where Jacob came safely when he returned with his wives and children from his sojourn with Laban, Genesis 33:18. This is where Jacob bought a piece of land from a Canaanite named Hamor for 100 pieces of silver, stated in Genesis 33:19. And this is where Jacob built an altar to the Lord and called it El Elehoi. Israel, Genesis 33:20. This established the connection between Jacob and what became known as Jacob's well there in Sychar. So Sychar was also the place where Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, where she was taken advantage of and raped, and the sons of Jacob massacred the men of the city in retaliation, as stated in Genesis 34. This was the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Land that Jacob had conquered from the Amorites with his sword and bow in an unrecorded battle. Genesis 48:22, And this was also where the bones of Joseph were buried that were carried into Egypt. Joshua 24:32, And this is where Joshua made a covenant with Israel, renewing their commitment to the God of Israel and proclaiming, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24. So just to give you an idea of the significance of this location, in verse 6, we see something that's a little different. Jesus was tired. He was physically tired. And so we've hit so much on Jesus being divine, being fully God in the flesh. But here we're going to look at a little bit of a human quality of Christ. It was about the sixth hour, meaning that it was about noon. And so being exhausted and overheated, which being outside yesterday for a long time in the sun and on a road in the middle of nowhere, you know, you can kind of relate a little bit to that heat. And being exhausted and being overheated, it's not a great combination. And so David Brown stated, we see in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 7, it states, tell me. You whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? So is so we know, as from other sources, that the very flocks, those flocks would rest at noon. And so Jesus, whose maxim was in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. It seems here that to have denied himself that repose, at least on this occasion, probably that he might reach this well when he knew the woman would be there. That's the whole point. He knew the woman would be there. And so what an opportunity for ministry he knew he would have even in this wasteland, vile place of Samaria. What an opportunity. He did not waste this opportunity. And Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink. And this came as quite the shock to the woman because once again, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And she was a woman. All in all, this woman, to kind of give you a background on her, is a fascinating character. She is of mature age and has had, a, has had a not altogether reputable past. She is frivolous, ready to talk with strangers, with a tongue quick to turn grave things into jest. 
And yet she possesses, hidden beneath all of her uncleanliness, all of her unclean vanities, a conscience and a yearning for something better than she has. A conscience and a yearning for something better. We yearn for true fulfillment due to that hole in our heart. We know that this life, we're never satisfied. Why do you think guys like Tom Brady, who have so many Super Bowl championships, are always trying to get more? Why do we see people that are wealthy with with earthly treasures still seem so miserable? It's because there's a hole in their heart. There's a hole in their heart that no amount of money, no amount of possessions, no amount of relationships, no amount of family, no matter no matter amount of drugs, sins, hobbies, whatever earthly thing you can think of can fill. True fulfillment is only found in relationship with Christ Jesus and his love. <coughs> Why? <coughs> Why is there fulfillment in that? Because it's not temporary. It's eternal love. I think this is so true for many of us. And this woman, she had a hole in her heart she was filling, unfortunately, with sexual immorality. At first, she was so standoffish to Jesus. She addresses him as a Jew and at one point a sir. And in verse 9, let's see how this dynamic, it changes how she continues to address him, this whole conversation she has with Jesus. So even in verse 9, she was shocked at the friendliness of Christ. He did not condemn her, but was kind to her and gentle. Watch the way the rest of this conversation goes. And we see an example, once again, of belief leads to conviction of sin. Verses 10 to 15, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So in verse 10, it talks about a gift. And the Greek word for gift is used only here in John's gospel account. This word emphasizes God's grace through Christ. Jesus gave life. And gave it freely. This is the living water. Not a stagnant cistern. But fresh flowing water that refreshes and revives and nourishes the soul. True quenching of thirst. True fulfillment found in Christ Jesus. What about this living water? David Guzik said in ancient times they called spring water living water. Because it seemed alive as it bubbled up from the ground. At first glance, it might seem that Jesus told this woman about a nearby active spring. But Jesus made a play on words with the phrase living water. Because he meant the spiritual water that quenches spiritual thirst and gives life. 
In the Old Testament, living water is sometimes associated with Jehovah, Jesus. He is called the fountain of living waters, stated in Jeremiah 2.13 and 17.13. Only Christ gives true quenching of thirst. Thirst, once again, that hole that is in our hearts. Why? Because of Genesis 3, the fall, when sin brought death through the first Adam. But through the second Adam, we get true, satisfying quench of thirst found in relationship with Christ. Charles Spurgeon stated, What does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there is no better representation of faith in all the Word of God than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draught, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be a very unworthy character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing. It is even more simple than eating. Music stated that someone might object I drink of what Jesus offers, and I feel thirsty, and I feel empty again. The answer is simple, Christian. Drink again. Seek Jesus. It isn't a one-time sip of Jesus that satisfies forever, but continual relationship and connection with Him. So what are some keys for continual connection with Christ, which we're going to address in the verses to come. So stay with me. How are we to respond to this living water? The Samaritan woman states, sir, give me this water. So she goes from curiosity and almost a mocking of him and a jesting at him with the, are you greater than our father Jacob statement to logically responding to this water? Oh, give me this water. She wanted an easier life, yet that is not the meaning of this passage. Verse 16 to 19. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. After she made these little jives at him. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So we go from Jew to Sir. Now she calls him a prophet. This woman, she, she is, is now starting, her eyes are starting to open. She's starting to, to see a little bit here. And so his reasoning for this was not an odd request. In this culture, for him asking for her to get her husband, it wasn't an odd request. So in this culture, it would have been appropriate for her husband to be present as Jesus was conversing with her. David Guzik stated that Jesus brought up this embarrassing issue because her sinful life had to be confronted. This woman had to decide what she loved more. And I think that this is a question for us. What do we love more, our sin or Christ? To live by the Spirit or to live by the flesh? These are some things we need to think about. She called Jesus a prophet as a response to him having a supernatural knowledge of her life that she thought that she had so hidden. That's why she went there at noon, to avoid people. And so let us not be so foolish to think that we in our own lives can hide anything from God. Our past, our future, our present, our thoughts, we can't hide anything from Him. But there is a beauty in the fact that God knows all of your sins, that God knows all of your thoughts. 
that we have ever had, ever. That's convicting. Yet, Jesus, He has offered us the gift of grace by faith, by trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. So like this woman, many of us, we must choose between sin or Jesus. And this is the daily battle. Now I'm going to ask again, how do we have connection with Jesus? Is it through an emotional music song? Is it because we're here in this building? Is it because of your works? Is it because of how much that you've read in your life, how much you've given? And if you confine Jesus to a specific place, you must reconsider that. How dare you think you can confine the eternal God, the holy God, to a place, to a building? And we see Jesus' answer to how we can have connection with him. And this is our main point of today's passage, or today's message. Verses 20 to 26, if you please read along with me. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. He is who, he is who called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So the woman changed the subject so quick. (laughs) If you didn't notice there, she changed the subject so quick about her husband's. And she moved the, the conversation from her sin over to, well, where's the proper place of worship? And that's the problem. The proper place of worship. Worship is not confined to a place. Worship is in the people of God worshiping Him for what He's done for us and for who He is. I love these three points that David Brown stated. Number one, the point raised will very soon cease to be of any moment. For a total change of dispensation, meaning a change of order, is about to come over the church. There's change coming. Number two, the Samaritans are wrong, not only as to the place, but the whole grounds and nature of their worship. While in all these respects, the truth lies with the Jews. Number three, as God is a spirit, so he both invites and demands a spiritual worship. Verse 21, Jesus stated, you will neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Once again, it's not about a place or the outside of the cup. It's not about the outside of the cup and the clothes that we wear and the way that we talk and the way that we act. God cares, number one, about your heart. God cares, number one, about your heart. Worshiping God 
no matter where we are, no matter what day, no matter what time. Malachi 1 verse 11 states, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul stated, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. In every place that men should pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Unified, walking in the Spirit, all for Christ Jesus, building each other up in the faith. Jesus then states, I who speak to you am he. Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And this is the first time that he did that. Not to the self-righteous, not to the Jews, not to a Pharisee, not to the disciples, not to the Gentiles, but to this woman. To this woman who was deemed as unclean, this woman who was an outcast, this woman who was a stranger, a foreigner, a sinner, just like each and every one of us, myself included. So we're going to look at her response to this news next week, and we're going to dig more into that. But we're going to go back to our question as we close here. What are some keys for continual connection with Christ? Worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? In Deuteronomy 6.5, Moses set down for the Israelites how they are to love their God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Our worship of God is directed by our love for Him. As we love, so we worship. Because the idea of might in Hebrew indicates totality. Jesus, Jesus expanded this expression to mind and strength in Mark 12.30 and Luke 10.27. To worship God in spirit and truth necessarily involves loving Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. True worship must be in spirit, that is, engaging the whole heart. Unless there's a real passion for God, unless there's a real love for God, there is no worship in spirit. At the same time, worship also must be in truth. So that is properly informed worship. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. What's the truth? The Word of God. The Bible. Both are necessary for God-honoring worship. Spirit without truth leads to shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to a high and as soon as that emotion is over, when the fervor cools, the worship ends. Then we make our worship based on how we feel, which is so very dangerous compared to the truth. Our worship becomes based off our circumstances and our conditions compared to what is true, that Jesus is the Christ and rejoicing in him forever. And truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless only head knowledge encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless, stoic legalism. The best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous, a joyous, continual appreciation of God, which is informed by Scripture. The more we know about God... The more we appreciate him, the more we realize how dead we were in our sins, the more we realize how alive we are in Christ. 
The more we can rejoice in the good news because of what originally was the bad news. We were dead, but in Christ we're alive. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. I was on the road with Mackenzie the other day, and we were talking about worshiping in spirit and truth. I said, Mackenzie, what do you think worshiping in spirit and truth is to you? And she said, well, we think about these two things, spirit and truth. And what are two things that we do as Christians that really help connect us to Christ? Communicating with him. So spirit, we must be a prayerful people. Not just, I mean, we have the Lord's Prayer, not just saying it verbatim, but when, I, when we say that, if you haven't noticed, the beginning is exaltation of Christ due to what he's done for us. Exaltation. And at some point in there, you ask for forgiveness and you praise him for who he is. And we can also take our request to him as well. We spend time in prayer, we worship in spirit. And then to worship in truth, We talked about how, well, what's the truth? The truth is the Bible. That's the truth. You want to know Christ? Get in the scripture. You don't even have to read it. Even if you listen to it. Spend time with God. Let your proper motivator be, why am I doing this? Not because I have to. Not because of if I do this and somehow I'll be holier than other people. But let your why to spend time in prayer and scripture. Let your why, your motivator be due to the love that Jesus Christ poured out for you on the cross. The sacrificial lamb without blemish. Who carried that cross. Who was lashed. His blood was spilled for you. (laughs) And he hung up on that cross wailing. And wailing, just gasping to get a breath. He had a crown of thorns pressed on his head. His skin was hanging off. Think about that love that he poured out for you. Greater love has no one than to lay down his life for a friend. That's true love that earned our salvation. And he was put in that tomb. And because that was God wrapped in the flesh, he was resurrected. He's alive. And that same resurrection power lives in you due to the Holy Spirit, due to Him living in you. He created you, He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And then when you believed, when you heard the gospel and you believed, praise God, praise God that He worked that on your heart to believe in the good news. So I want to ask you this week, how will you... Worship and spirit and truth. Remember your why. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. (laughs) My goodness, we praise you. We were so dead in our sins and our trespasses and the way that we lived. And some of us, we too, may still struggle with certain sins. But God, I ask that you would help us all to walk in the Spirit. Help us to live for you, that daily when we wake up, that we would praise you, 
that we rejoice because of the gospel, that we would rejoice because our salvation is secured, that we would rejoice because of the love that you poured out for us, that we would rejoice because of the grace that you have given us, and that we would rejoice because of the truth and that you love those whom you discipline. Help us to repent. And help us to share this good news with others. Help us to worship in spirit. Help us to spend time with you in prayer. Help us to spend time with you for doing all for your glory. Our jobs. Relationships with people. Whatever that may be. A hobby. Help us to do that for your glory. To honor you. And to plant seed wherever we're at. And help us to worship in truth. Help us to be basted. Help us to be filled with the truth found in your word. Whether it's by if we read a chapter in the Bible. Or whether if we listen to a chapter in the Bible. Help us to be fed by your word. Help us to rejoice. Help us to live. And to live with an eternal mindset. To worship in spirit and truth every day. We praise you, Jesus. We lift up to you our church. We lift up to you the universal church that more and more would come to believe in you and that you would be glorified and that you would be shared in all nations across the entire world. Help us to rejoice. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Amen.